Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. From the blackest corners of your mind, they call, pulling you deep into shadow, twisting your senses, keeping you from sleep. It's time to face your darkest fears. This is Tales to Terrify. Good evening, children of the night, and welcome. Well, with the turning of the leaves and the cooling of temperatures, it's clear we're fully descending into autumn. Honestly, where did this year go? I feel like I speak for a lot of horror fans when I say fall is my favorite time of year. The vibrant colors, the early morning bite in the air and that just generally spooky atmosphere. Although I could do with just a couple more hours of daylight. As we lead up to that most haunted of holidays, it's looking more and more like Halloween will be particularly strange this year. Parties and trick-or-treating, ghost walks and haunted houses. So many of the things we're used to doing this time of year 
likely just aren't in the cards for 2020. But if you'd like to get into the festive spirit, I've got something a little different that might just be what the doctor ordered. Rather than mourn being stuck at home, why not embrace it? You may even discover along the way that you're not really as alone at home as you think you are. HauntedWalk.com has created the perfect companion for these dark and dreary October nights. Something that I think is right up our alley. An online interactive audio experience they call The Haunting at Home. It's a ghostly, atmospheric, guided lesson that, through a series of paranormal experiments, will help you discover if your house is haunted. Some of these experiments you may be familiar with, some of them maybe not, but each are based on actual methods used by ghost hunters and parapsychologists to scare up spirits in haunted locations. Check out hauntedwalk.com slash thehaunting for a taste of what The Haunting at Home is all about. And to make it even easier for you to get in on the fun, we've wrangled a special offer. Use the code Tales to Terrify, all one word, at checkout, and you'll get 20% off. I'm itching to check it out for myself, which I'm hoping to do sometime in the next week. And I'll make sure to report back and let you know if Chateau Sebastini is indeed haunted or not. I'd love to hear your experiences if you try it out, too. Hauntedwalk.com slash thehaunting, offer code Tales to Terrify. Gather your inner circle, turn the lights down, and prepare yourself. You never know what darkness your home may be hiding. It's been a little while since I've mentioned this, so I'd like to give another quick reminder we are indeed still open for submissions. In the spirit of the season, we've decided to leave them open for the remainder of October. So if you've got any frightening fiction tucked up the sleeve of that old cloak of yours, now's the time to let it slither free and into the ears of our listeners. TalesToTerrified.com slash submissions has everything you need to know. This week, we're headed eastward, away from the Rocky Mountains, through the foothills, and into the great, wide, prairie plains that span the middle of the country. In the early 1900s, many towns relied on the railway to make this trip, to transport goods and people from one place to the next, especially across the broad sweep of Canadian prairies. Running the locomotives that steamed across the open land was dirty, difficult, and often dangerous work. But the pay was steady, and for young Gus Day, that was what mattered. He was dead set on making sure he provided for his family as best he could. After all, he'd just learned he was about to become a father. And no one was happier for Gus and his wife than Day's partner, Bob Tui. Tui was an engineer and had taken Day under his wing when the young man first signed on with the Canadian Pacific Railway, bringing him on as his fireman, who shoveled coal into the boiler and kept the fire burning bright and hot. During their travels, 
they spent hours together and quickly became inseparable. Day was like a younger brother to the older engineer. That made their newly announced baby the closest thing Tui had to a niece or nephew. As the due date neared, Day became increasingly anxious, doting on his wife Annie to the point of exasperation. If it was up to her husband, she'd have spent all day, every day, lying in bed with her feet up. But she didn't have the patience for that. She had things to do. So, with only two months to go, when the railway asked him to take on the night shift for the month, even though Day was apprehensive, Annie encouraged him to take it. They could use the extra money, she reminded him. Plus, she could use some time to herself, and she'd probably sleep through most of it anyway. Reluctantly, Day took the shift. Just in case, he'd placed a large cowbell on the nightstand. If his wife had any trouble, Annie was to ring it, and the neighbor woman would come running. Feeling somewhat reassured, Day headed off to the night shift. For several evenings, everything went just fine. The trains ran smoothly and on time, and his wife and unborn child seemed as happy and healthy as ever. So why was there a growing sense of dread brewing in Day's brain? He tried to shake it off, until one night it had grown so powerful he nearly called in sick. Something awful was about to happen, it told him. Tonight, something terrible. Just the new dad jitters, he tried to reassure himself. But all evening, he couldn't shake the sensation. As the train rolled out of Medicine Hat, and began to pick up steam across the flat, dark countryside. Tui did his best to reassure his rattled friend. The baby was fine, he said, and Annie too. But as the words left his lips, Tui's gaze began to drift, and a look of terror melted his cheerful disposition. A light, a bright light, barreling down the track toward them. A train approaching from the wrong direction on their track. The two men barely had time to brace for impact, let alone pull the brake lever, before the speeding train was upon them, horn blaring. Cradling his arms tightly over his head, eyes squeezed shut, day froze, waiting, waiting for the roar of the train's engine, the sound of screaming, of tearing metal, the explosive eruption of the steam engines colliding. But there was nothing. Cautiously, certain heat already died and would open his eyes on the pearly gates, Day cracked an eyelid, and then the other. Streaming past him, mere inches from the cab, was the other train. He could hear its horn still blaring in the distance, but it continued past without slowing. And faces peered out at him from the cars, the faces of passengers, smiling and waving. The train had somehow veered at the last second, and the two engines had missed each other 
by what must have been an impossible margin. And then, just like that, the train was passed, and the two shaken men crumpled to the floor of the engine, too shocked and exhausted with terror to even discuss their experience. As much as they were thankful to be alive, their minds struggled to grasp what had happened. How had the other train missed them? There was, after all, only one set of tracks. The men finished their shift in near silence, arrived in the town of Dunmore, and coupled to the Spokane Flyer, where the train would continue on to Crow's Nest Pass. Their near miss had clearly left an indelible mark on Tui. Unable to shake the unsettling vision from his mind, and afraid sharing his experience with others would have them questioning his sanity, he sought out the one place he knew would be open to his tale of the supernatural, a fortune teller. But the news he received from her was anything but reassuring. With pity and sadness weighing heavy on her features, she delivered her reading. Tui would die within the month, she said. Understandably, the man left the fortune tellers even more shaken than he'd entered and proceeded to call off work for the next several weeks, going to stay with relatives in the city of Lethbridge. Day, on the other hand, while shaken, had managed to convince himself it was all an illusion. Lack of sleep mixed with the stress of preparing for imminent fatherhood had caused him to hallucinate. Or maybe he fell asleep briefly, and it was all a dream. But that newfound certainty was put to the test only days later when he found himself on a nearly identical shift. The now familiar feeling of dread was thick that night, and without his old friend Tui to help comfort him, tension sat high and heavy in his chest. A knot that wound tighter as they approached the bend just outside of Medicine Hat, where they'd seen the phantom train before. So it was with a strange mix of terror and relief that as they entered the bend, Day spotted a fast-approaching light barreling down the track toward them. And, like before, the train sped by to their right, where no track should be. The engineer and fireman from the other locomotive gave a friendly wave and a nod, a gesture that was unsettlingly normal. And for a brief second, Day thought the man at the controls looked almost familiar. But the other train sped past, and the face was lost to the darkness. After two encounters with the phantom train, Day had had enough, a decision he was so very thankful for a week later when he received the message. Come quick, the messenger said. The baby's coming. Day raced home to find the front door ajar. He rushed in, in time to see the doctor carefully swaddling a small bundle. The doctor gently placed the bundle against Annie's chest. She smiled up at her husband, and the worry began to melt from his face. It's all right, the doctor said. One of the easiest births I've ever attended. You have a son, Gus, 
a healthy baby boy. Congratulations. Three miles away, at nearly the exact moment the tiny infant took his first breath, there came an explosive, rending crash. Metal screeched and buckled, boilers hissed and exploded, and passengers screamed. On the exact same bend, Day and Tui had first encountered the phantom train, the number 514 passenger train from Lethbridge, coming into Medicine Hat, had collided with the locomotive Day had been on only days earlier. This time, there had been no extra set of tracks. There had been no friendly wave of the other ghostly engineer or disappearing quietly into the night. Both trains were real and solid and both trains were on the same track. For those near the front of the trains, death was almost instantaneous. Among them, the engineer of the number 514 train, a man who had tragically just cured himself of his phantom train fears. Day's old friend and partner, Bob Tui. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. We have one story for you this evening, which comes from Sean W. Foley. Dr. Sean W. Foley is a computational biologist working in oncology research outside of Philadelphia. As a bored 12-year-old, 
he watched a VHS of John Carpenter's Halloween. And when the credits rolled, he knew he needed more. Horror films, stories, comics, and podcasts have been his entertainment of choice ever since. Sean has recently started writing original horror stories himself and is proud to have his first published short story produced by Tales to Terrify. Children of the Night, join me for Sean W. Foley's Wedding of the Century, a Tales to Terrify original. Touring the Venue Sarah got into work, dropped her bags, and checked the schedule. Three tours today. She frowned. Last week, she'd had six and eight the week before. She was starting to worry about the slowdown. Not panic yet, but worry. She took a breath and reminded herself that it didn't matter how many tours she had, only how many weddings she booked. If she could keep booking two each week, she wouldn't have to worry. Ever since she was a little girl, she'd loved weddings. She'd grown up a few blocks from celebrations, weddings, watching women in gowns and men in tuxes laughing and smiling between the limousines and the venue. She spent her childhood watching the brides and grooms on their big day, and it never got old. She still remembered the first wedding she'd ever seen. She was walking the dog with her mom and saw a woman in a white dress getting out of a long black car. She dropped her mom's hand and ran up to the woman. Are you a real princess? She asked. It was the only reason someone could look so beautiful. No, honey, but I feel like one, the bride said with a smile. From that moment, she was hooked. Few people have the job they dreamed of when they were kids, but two years ago, she had her opportunity. After a string of bad years, Celebrations Weddings went up for sale. Sarah remortgaged the house and bought the venue. Sarah renamed it Loomis Manor and renovated everything. She'd always loved Celebrations, but she needed to make the venue her own. She didn't own the next celebrations. She owned the first Loomis Manor. Her first wedding was terrifying. The couple was young and didn't have much, but they had each other. At the venue tour, an electricity flowed through the bride as she fluttered around like she was in Willy Wonka's factory. The groom held her hand dutifully, but he looked nervous. Sarah used her own nervous energy to sound excited, bouncing around almost as much as the bride as she showed them all of the renovations. Near the end of the tour, the groom excused himself, and Sarah sat the bride down and went to her office to retrieve the empty scheduling book. When she got there, she saw the groom wringing his hands in the corner. She loves it, he said. I don't want this for her, but... She listened to him explain their budget 
ask about discounted days or ways to drop the price and pretended not to notice the shimmer in his eyes or the tremble in his voice the whole time. It would be a small ceremony. They could barely afford fifty guests. If we have a buffet, we won't need servers. And if I mix the drinks myself, we can remove the cost of the bartender, she said, grabbing his hand to stop his tremble. She saw the way he looked at his fiancée, how he would do whatever he could for the woman he loved. I think we can make this work. Over those first two years, she built her customer base with glowing reviews. She was a romantic and just wanted to make her couples happy. She thought of Loomis Manor as the place dreams came true, even if Disney had it trademarked. Wilton was a small Massachusetts town, and there weren't a lot of options for non-traditional, non-Christian ceremonies, but she wanted to be a venue for any couple. She even hosted the first gay wedding in Wilton's history and installed new wooden fences to keep the picketers out of sight. When the economy crashed in 2008, the wedding industry wasn't spared. Over the last year, Sarah went from over 50 tours per weekend down to 15 on a good one. She had more weekends open in 2010 than booked, and she wasn't sure what to do. She couldn't afford to drop her prices. Her startup funds were gone. She was booked every Friday and Saturday through February 2010 and needed to hope that things would ease up before she started getting to any open weekends. She'd started offering Sunday weddings at a discounted price. She couldn't sustain the manor with those weddings, but they could help to ease the strain if she did start running into some lean months. Today's first tour was a crowd. The engaged couple brought both sets of parents, three groomsmen, and the maid of honor. They wanted everyone's opinion. Sarah took pride in the manor and walked them through a standard wedding. She took them into the ballroom past the bar when the groomsmen started grilling her about which alcohol they served, if they served shots, and which shots they could get. For some groups, a wedding was just a party. For the cost of a gift, you got free booze and good food. She answered their questions but wasn't too disappointed when they left without booking. The second tour was worse. No crowd this time, just the groom, the bride, and her father. The groom looked depressed. He wasn't listening to a thing she was saying, just nodding his head. His future father-in-law ignored him and just kept asking, Is this what you want, baby girl? When she finished the tour, the father-in-law asked what her earliest Friday was, and when she said six months from now, he told her that was unacceptable. She offered him a few Sunday options, and he said that would be all right. They booked the wedding for six weeks later. He asked for any discounts for a closed bar, said if the bride can't drink, then nobody can. But she said the open bar was included in the base price and she couldn't lower it further. He gave her the deposit, and they left. She could practically see the shotgun used to plan that wedding. The third tour reminded Sarah why she loved her job. When the couple walked in, she could see them jittering with excitement. The bride was looking around the lobby, taking it all in, while the groom was pointing out details to her. They were young, maybe mid-twenties, and they could barely keep their eyes off each other. 
The bride wore a vintage polka dot dress that twirled every time she whipped around to look at something. The groom was dressed in slacks and a tie, following her around the lobby with a small smile. After a moment, three more people joined them. A man in his sixties wearing a sports coat, a woman around his age in a conservative black dress, and a younger man in his thirties wearing a suit. Sarah looked at them and guessed they were the bride's parents and the best man. Sarah welcomed the group and introduced herself. The groom greeted her with a big smile, and his fiance practically jumped in front of Sarah to introduce the group. Hello, it's so great to meet you in person. I'm Alex, and this is my fiancé, Jacob. She punctuated each sentence with an exclamation point and savored the word fiancé. It's great to meet you, Sarah, Jacob said with a warm smile. This is Brother Michael and Sister Anna. They're leaders in our church, he said, indicating the older man and woman. And this is James, indicating the third man. It's very nice to meet you. May I ask what church you're from? Sarah greeted the other three. It was common to meet church members during the tour. Often couples would want the officiant's input. We're from the Church of Sacrum Sanguinum, or the Church of the Sacred Blood if your Latin's a little rusty, Brother Michael said with a wink. We've known these two since they were little ones, Sister Anna said, squeezing Alex close to her. It's hard to believe the big day's coming up. James gave her a polite nod. Let me take you through the night from beginning to end, Sarah said. Your guests will walk into the lobby. We can have a guest book next to the door. We've set up for tours today, but picture all of the chairs and tables stored away and some high tops for people when they mingle during the cocktail hour. She showed them an example high top and walked them around the large room. It had beautiful hardwood floors with high ceilings, and it could comfortably fit over 300 guests. She next walked them into a small ballroom, a similar layout with custom wood paneling lining the far wall. Here is where we host the ceremony, Sarah began, before Alex squealed, running into the room like a little kid. It's so beautiful! I love the rafters on the ceiling, and it's so spacious in here, she said. Well, it'll be filled in with chairs facing the front, and we have some curtains that come down to divide the room if you're planning a smaller ceremony. We can discuss the details later if you'd like, but we have plenty of options for a podium or small table at the front if you'd prefer. We try to incorporate any personal touches that the couple likes, Sarah explained. I think it's perfect. We have plenty of personal touches we'd love to include, Alex exclaimed. Sarah noticed James was discussing something quietly with Brother Michael. He seemed a bit hesitant about the room. And that's what Loomis Manor is here for. No two weddings are alike, and they never should be. We're here to provide you with the wedding of your dreams. You have enough to worry about that day. We want to take as much pressure off the couple as possible. Is it common for people to provide their own decorations for the ceremony? Jacob asked. We provide plenty of options for decor, but the vast majority like to provide decorations that are meaningful to them. We ask couples to arrive 30 minutes early for the rehearsal so they can bring in any decor they have and we can discuss how they'd like it displayed. If you have a wedding planner or someone you trust, they're welcome to arrive early to oversee the decor. Is it common to host religious ceremonies here? Brother Michael asked. Organizing the efficient and the ceremony is the responsibility of the couple, 
but we want to support whatever makes this day special to you. We've had Catholic, Jewish, Muslim, and Hindu weddings, as well as non-denominational and secular ceremonies. And have you ever placed limitations on the ceremony? Sister Anna asked. We try to be as accommodating as reasonable, Sarah said. The number of questions about the ceremony was unusual. She thought she'd make herself clear. Any examples of requests that you couldn't accommodate? James asked, speaking for the first time. Off the top of my head? She was getting uncomfortable. She looked over and saw the yearning in Alex's face and knew these questions weren't coming from the couple, that they were rooting for Sarah to give them the right answers. We had a Hindu wedding about six months ago where the groom wanted to ride a horse across the property and into the ceremony hall. We agreed to allow the horse on the property and up to the door, but we refused to let it inside the lobby. You can see that we have hardwood floors, and an animal of that weight with hooves could have caused some serious damage. So you're not opposed to animals involved in the ceremony, Sister Anna pressed. Not at all, Sarah said, guessing where these questions were going. We've had plenty of furry friends walk down the aisle. One bride had her Bichon act like the flower girl. Another couple had their cat as a ring bearer. Like I said, we do our best to accommodate, but we need to be mindful of the facility itself. Just picture it, Sister Anna, Alex gushed. Can't you see me and Jake in here, surrounded by our congregation? All the people we love? I can see it already, she said. Now, if you don't have any more questions about the ceremony room, let's walk over to the main ballroom. Sarah said, leading the group to the room. She was back to the standard tour. You can see that we can comfortably fit 30 tables in here with plenty of room on the dance floor. We have a bar in the back and space up here for the DJ to set up. If you follow me over here, we have an example table setting. The group nodded politely but seemed disinterested. Most wedding parties had the majority of their questions about the reception, where they spent most of the evening. Alex was pulling Jacob around the room by the hand, buzzing from one corner to the next, but the other three were politely disinterested. Sarah walked them back to the lobby, giving her usual spiel about dinner options, preferred vendors, recommended photographers, and bakers. She pulled out the tour packet and gave it to the couple to start looking through, and found an excuse to go to her office and give them a few minutes to discuss. While the couple pored over the details, she saw the other three deep in discussion away from them. She wondered what they could be talking about that didn't involve the two people who were actually getting married. After a few minutes, she walked back out with the schedule book. She liked these two and hoped they'd book. They were so sweet, so in love. Alex was like a child on Christmas and Jacob looked like he'd do anything for her. We love the venue, and we really want to book here, Alex said before Sarah could even sit down. Well, that sounds wonderful. Do you have a month or a season in mind for the ceremony? Sarah asked. It has to be July 7th, 2009, Alex said. Most couples come with a range of dates. They need to be flexible. Sarah opened the date book to humor them and didn't have too far to look. July 7th was about two months away. Loomis Manor might be struggling, but when they weren't booked a few months in advance, they'd be on life support. When she got to the right page, she knew there must be a mistake. You want your wedding on a Tuesday? 
Sarah asked. It has to be that day, Alex said with a hint of worry. We aren't booked, but it might be a bit tricky from a staffing perspective, Sarah said. She was trying to think through the logistics of a Tuesday ceremony. Most of her staff were only committed Friday through Sunday. A lot of them had other jobs, and there was hardly much notice. We understand that it would be a lot to ask your staff to come in on short notice, and we're willing to compensate you for the inconvenience, Brother Michael said. Would twice your Saturday rate be sufficient? Twice? And they weren't even booking a Saturday. It was an extra day on the calendar. I think three times would be more appropriate, Sister Anna said. I think we might be able to work something out. Do you have an estimate for the party size? Sarah asked. The congregation's about 200 strong, with another 50 who will be arriving for the reception, Brother Michael said. Sarah couldn't hide her surprise. A wedding with 250 guests being paid three times her rate without booking a weekend. This was going to be a huge windfall that would go straight to the savings. This ceremony alone could help keep the manor above water if things got tight. I think that sounds wonderful. I'll add you to the calendar tentatively, and we'll need a 10% deposit to make it official. Not quite yet, James said. Sarah had been worried about a catch. It was too good to be true. This wedding is being funded by the church because these two are such an important part of their congregation, he continued, smiling at the couple. Alex looked nervous, and Jacob held her hand tightly. We need to iron out some details in the contract before placing a deposit. You'd be surprised how many wedding venues in this area can be close-minded to a non-traditional ceremony. These ceremonies are deeply symbolic and very meaningful to the couple and to the church, and I'm here to make sure that everyone comes to an agreement regarding the details of the ceremony. Essentially, the church is asking for some guarantees regarding their personal touches before they're willing to commit. The Negotiation We'd first like to revisit the possibility of animals involved in the ceremony. We'd like that to be explicit in the contract, James said, all business. We've always had a reasonable policy. Are you talking about a cat or a dog? Sarah asked. The ceremony will require one goat, James said. Sarah chuckled. She thought they were giving her a hard time after her horse story, then realized that nobody else was laughing. James wasn't joking, so maybe she'd just misunderstood him. I'm sorry, but I thought you said a goat, she tried. Yes, we'd like it explicit in the contract. My clients have said that the goat is an essential element of the ceremony, James said. Alex and Jacob looked like they were watching tennis, heads pivoting back and forth to see who would score the point. Your clients? Sarah asked. She felt like they were speaking different languages. You're right. I'm sorry. I haven't been clear. The Church of the Sacred Blood has asked for me to represent them in a discrimination case. When I got to know these two, James motioned towards the couple, I offered to tag along today and practice some pro bono contract law. So you're a lawyer? Sarah asked. Discrimination case? Who brings a lawyer to a venue tour? Yes, I'm an attorney for the ACLU. But today, I'm just looking out for this couple's best interests to make sure that Loomis Manor agrees to provide them with the wedding they deserve. So do I need a lawyer? Sarah asked. 
She saw how uncomfortable this was making the couple. Clearly, this wasn't their idea. What James is trying to say, Brother Michael said, is that he's here to help us. I wouldn't tell you not to bring a lawyer if you're uncomfortable, but we're just trying to be upfront about the requirements of this wedding ceremony. We helped these two book a different venue 18 months ago, but we live in a town with small-minded bigots, Sister Anna said, then paused to compose herself. Last week, the owner said she was uncomfortable with our kind, and she wouldn't want to keep the date away from proper Christian folk. And we didn't take that lying down, Brother Michael continued. We went and got ourselves a lawyer and sued them for discrimination. We booked that venue for a date, and it was important that we kept that date. We got in touch with the ACLU about religious discrimination, and we met James here, who ran through the legal mumbo-jumbo and told us we were shit out of luck. Excuse my language. He said we could fight to get the deposit back, but if we wanted to have the wedding in July, we needed to find a different venue. Sarah was trying to process the story. She'd heard of venues kicking couples out, but only for extreme circumstances. Threats and vandalism were about the only reasons she could think of, especially since money didn't seem to be a problem for this group. Believe me when I say we're not here to try and take advantage of you, Brother Michael said. We're more than willing to compensate you fairly, but James has recommended that we procure a more explicit contract for this wedding. Our contracts are fairly standard she said. Our lawyer helped us draw them up when we opened. I wouldn't be comfortable signing anything with any major changes. And I would never ask you to, James interrupted, waving her concerns aside. I'm asking you to negotiate a new contract today, bring it to your lawyer, and sign it if you feel comfortable. And we'll of course reimburse you for the legal fees, Sister Anna said. Sarah considered what she'd heard. Kicked out of a venue two months before the wedding would explain why they were willing to pay any cost. All this was a lot to process, but if they thought any price was fair, then just how much could they really afford? She caught Alex's eyes, and the desperation in them made her feel ashamed. This couple was in love. They'd been screwed over, and they came here for help. No, they came here to pay Sarah three times her fee just to do her job. The goat can be outside, but having it inside the ceremony room is too much, Sarah said. The room lightened up as relief washed over everyone's face. The goat is very important to the ceremony, and it doesn't weigh much more than a large dog. Would you let a Great Dane into the ceremony room? James asked. Great Danes don't have hooves that would scratch the finishing on our hardwood floor, Sarah explained. And what if the church provided a carpet for the goat to walk across and didn't allow it on the floor? Brother Michael asked. There's too much risk. The damage deposit is only $500, and any serious damage to the floor could cost ten times that, Sarah reasoned. And what if we gave you a damage deposit of $10,000? James asked, smiling at the shock on Sarah's face. My clients are positive that there will be no damage, so they're willing to let you hold on to the deposit to ease your concerns. Instead of refunding it in the standard seven days, you can have a full month to assess any damages and obtain quotes. You can then retain the cost of the highest written quote regardless of the cost of the actual repairs. 
Sarah couldn't decide if they were competent or desperate. Get that in writing, and I can't wait to meet this goat. Wonderful, James said. Now we'd like to nail down some details about wedding decor. Specifically, my clients would like permission to paint or draw images on the walls and floor of the ceremony room. Are you asking to paint pictures on the wall of my wedding venue? And floor, Brother Michael explained. And they're more messages than paintings. They're a symbolic invitation for our Lord to be present at the wedding ceremony, like the empty chair at the table during a Passover Seder. Sarah raised her eyebrows, but was met with an even gaze. Absolutely not, she said. And what if we hung draperies along the walls instead? Sister Anna asked. It was unconventional. Sarah was a little offended that they'd be hiding the woodwork she'd commissioned, but she couldn't see why not. So the wedding party can provide draperies to be hung on the walls and a covering on the floor. Then you would have no problem with writing going on those draperies, James asked. When Sarah nodded, he continued. And you would agree to have one or more members of the church arrive early to help set up for the wedding. We normally do all the preparation ourselves and allow early access to approve the setup rather than decorate themselves, Sarah said. Nobody's questioning your abilities. Brother Michael said gently, But as so many aspects of our church's ceremony are quite particular, we'd like to be assured they're met exactly. Then I don't see why not. Would two hours before the ceremony be enough time? Absolutely. Anything else? Sarah asked. What is your feeling about having open flames on the property? James asked. We've permitted unity candles during ceremonies, but I'm very uncomfortable with anything more. It's too much of a hazard, Sarah said. And if my clients increased the damage deposit? I'm sorry, but I can't allow it, Sarah said. She was accommodating, not a pushover. What about outside of the venue? Jacob asked. We've had sparkler exits before, with the guests holding them outside of the lobby and the couples running through. Those make lovely pictures. We were thinking more along the lines of a bonfire in the back, Brother Michael said. I just told you I'm uncomfortable with more than a single candle and you're asking for a bonfire? Sarah asked. There's never any harm in asking, Brother Michael said apologetically. We would never want to make you uncomfortable. We understand that an open bar is included in the price, but what would you estimate is the cost of alcohol per guest? Sister Anna asked. Sarah sighed. Apparently, money was no object until it came to the alcohol tab, but they'd offered to pay more than their fair share. We don't normally offer discounts for dry weddings, but I think a $20 per person discount would be fair, Sarah said. Sister Anna let out a sigh. I'm sorry, I wasn't clear. Our congregation believes strongly in celebrating together, and I worry that we may imbibe a bit more than most wedding parties. We'd like you to stock up on the alcohol for the ceremony, and we'll pay an additional $60 per person to cover the extra cost. You're telling me to expect this wedding to drink four times what our other ceremonies do? Only if you don't run dry first. You really don't have to do that, Sarah said. She almost felt like she was taking advantage of them. The extra money isn't a gift, Sister Anna said with a smile. It's to compensate you for providing a more fully stocked bar than other parties ask for. We did have one last question, Brother Michael said. 
What's your policy on nudity inside of the venue? The Visit The day after the venue tour, Sarah received a contract to book the wedding. She would be compensated $360 per guest for 250 guests, compared to the usual $100 for a wedding of 125 guests. On top of her usual services, she explicitly agreed to 1. Allow a goat, no greater than 130 pounds, into the ceremony room. 2. Allow draperies covering the walls and floor which may be decorated with any religiously significant markings. 3. Permit up to three individuals to assist in ceremony preparations no less than two hours before the start of the ceremony. 4. Allow nudity within the confines of the venue as necessitated by the wedding ceremony. Her lawyer said everything was above board, despite the odd requests. He told her to be mindful because he felt the conditions were intentionally a bit vague. After returning the signed contract, she got a 50% deposit with the remainder sent to her a week before the wedding. She'd had 14 weddings between the venue tour and July 7th and didn't put much thought into the Church of the Sacred Blood again until she saw Alex sitting in the lobby. Hello, Alex. It's nice to see you again, she said. Hi, Sarah. Are you busy? I was in the area and wanted to stop by. I don't have any appointments for the rest of the day. How can I help you? Sarah asked, sitting down beside her. I really just wanted to thank you again for working with us. When James told me he got the signed contract, I was just so relieved, she said. Jacob and I were really worried when the last venue canceled, and we just have to get married on the 7th. Is the 7th an anniversary for you? No, it's the day of the solar eclipse. We need to get married during the eclipse, Alex said with a hunger in her eyes. So you two are interested in astronomy? Sarah asked. She was more curious about this group than she wanted to admit. Everything about them seemed a little bizarre. It's a very important day for the church. A solar eclipse when Earth and Mars are all aligned carries a lot of significance. We're blessed that it's occurring twice in our lifetime. The next occurrence will be in 2107. Not the answer Sarah was expecting. Jacob and I were both born during the eclipse of the last alignment, so Brother Michael and Sister Anna said we simply had to get married on the 7th. And how did you and Jacob meet? Sarah asked. She wanted to change the subject from astronomy. She was relieved to see Alex's face fill with the dreamy look her favorite brides wore. We met at the church. We grew up together. Jacob was always there for me. He's... Alex seemed to realize she wasn't talking to a close girlfriend. I'm sorry. I'm sure you don't want to hear my life story. Maybe not your life story, Sarah said with a smile. But I'd love to hear about you and Jacob. These stories were why she joined the wedding industry. Alex gave her a smile. She clearly loved talking about her and Jacob. I grew up in the church. My parents were members before I was born, so I've known Jacob as long as I can remember. I'd see him at celebrations every week. We were about the same age, and we'd talk a little at the potlucks. When my parents were in the accident, I didn't call him. He was just there. I was 17. I'd just gotten home from the police station, and Jake was sitting on the front porch. He'd heard about it from someone else in the church. The entire congregation knew before I even got home. But he was there waiting for me. I 
I didn't want to be alone. Jake and his parents helped me with all the arrangements, and after that, we... I guess before that we were dating, but afterwards we were inseparable. He was always there. I worried he just felt bad for me. He felt too guilty to leave. I'm rambling now, but the point is he was there. I think I fell in love with him when I saw him on the front porch that night, and last year he asked me to marry him. You two looked so happy when I showed you the venue. You really have a special relationship, Sarah said. He's just done so much for me, and I want our wedding to be perfect for him, Alex said. We both love the church, but Jake has spent so much time volunteering and helping and doing anything he could. It's always been who he is. So finding a place that lets us celebrate our religion, it just means everything to us, Sarah. That's why I wanted to come here. I want to thank you for having us and for letting us celebrate our wedding our way. It's my honor. And thank you for letting me be a part of your big day. That look in Alex's eyes, getting lost in the memories of meeting Jacob, wanting to make the ceremony meaningful for him. Sarah liked her. She'd had plenty of difficult weddings, and the contract negotiation was a little weird, but if she could make these two happy, then it was worth it. So, what exactly is a wedding ceremony like in your church? What can we expect next week? Every bride loved to run through the wedding day, to picture her friends and family, the music, the dancing, the dress. And Sarah didn't have anything to do this afternoon that couldn't wait. It's going to be amazing, she said, getting up and leading Sarah to the ceremony room. Picture the walls and floors covered in runes, messages welcoming our Lord, thanking her for bringing us together, and asking her to bless our union. Her? The congregation will be standing in a circle at least three people deep, with Brother Michael, Sister Anna, and Jacob in the center. Both Jacob and I will repeat our intentions for marriage, and Philip will be brought into the circle. Philip? Sarah asked. I'm sorry, Alex said. She'd gotten lost in thought. Philip's our goat, so Philip will be brought in and stand between us, then we'll be sealed in a circle of salt. I'm sorry, a circle of salt? Sarah asked. It's symbolic of our home, an area of our own for the ceremony. We'll be sealed in the circle and recite our vows to one another while Brother Michael and Sister Anna preside over the ceremony. When we confirm our commitment to one another, we'll sacrifice Philip. What? Alex looked confused by Sarah's reaction. We'll sacrifice him. It's painless. We love Philip and we'd never hurt him. You think you're sacrificing a goat inside my venue? Fear started to rise on Alex's face as Sarah's meaning dawned on her. But we have to sacrifice him, she stammered. It's symbolic of a new life born from blood. We've raised Philip for years. We love him, and his sacrifice is essential. Alex, it's cruel. It's obscene, Sarah said, at a loss for words. It's fast and painless. Philip's suffering would ruin the ceremony. What kind of church is this? It's perverse. Sarah said, still trying to understand what she heard. She saw the tears forming in Alex's eyes and felt a pang of guilt. But why should she feel guilty? She wasn't the one trying to kill a goat. Those people were. I don't know if I can agree to this, Alex. But you did agree to it, Alex said softly. This is a religious service, and you said that you didn't discriminate against unfamiliar cultures. Refusing to let us practice our faith is discrimination, Sarah. 
Her head was swirling. What kind of church sacrifices goats? The Church of the Sacred Blood, Alex answered simply. But don't you use wine to symbolize blood? I'm sorry, Sarah, but we're not that type of church. That's why we asked about how comfortable you are with diverse faiths. Do you think we'd ask that if we were just some Protestants? The Church of the Sacred Blood worships the fallen angel Beerus. She was the right hand of the Morning Star during the Great Rebellion. God made man from clay so that he could be worshipped. Beerus filled humanity with the fluid of life, giving us emotion. All feelings—joy, love, pain, sorrow, anger—they come from Beerus, and we honor her by celebrating these emotions during our wedding. So let me get this straight, Sarah said. You worship a demon that filled us with blood and lets us be happy? Is it any more bizarre than worshipping a Jewish zombie who is his own father? Or a god that kills infants because Pharaoh doesn't listen to him? All religions sound crazy when you start to look at them too closely. What makes our church different is that we don't push people to suppress their desires. We celebrate them. Our weddings aren't mournful hymns and listening to a priest thrown on. They're short ceremonies filled with love, dancing, singing, drinking. Alex paused. Do you really think it's right to stop us from celebrating our faith because it's foreign to you? If you're worried about Philip, he feels no more pain than a goat sacrificed at Eid al-Fitr or sacrificed in a korban. But you have no issue hosting Muslim or Jewish weddings. Sarah was angry at being misled, and she was even angrier because Alex had a point. She had to ask herself if she would feel this way if, instead of Beerus, they were worshipping Allah or Yahweh. She sat in silence. Alex's gaze didn't waver. Could she really dismiss their religion just because she didn't agree with it? And if they weren't here, they'd be sacrificing the goat and having the ceremony somewhere else. Okay, Sarah said at last. Alex looked pleased. Tell me more. She might as well understand the mythology she was getting herself mixed up in. Beerus bestowed us with both positive and negative emotions, and we believe that we must celebrate the full spectrum during our wedding. The sacrifice of a goat that we've raised together embraces sorrow and pain and is an irreversible act to symbolize the union that cannot be broken. Our separate lives are now over, and our new lives will begin. As we prepare for the sacrifice, we'll draw runes of commitment and love on each other's bodies and drink from a goblet of virgin's blood. Seriously? I mean, it's symbolic. It's just goat's blood. Oh, just some goat blood. But it's symbolic of the fluid of life that Beerus filled us with. But it's actual blood you'll be drinking. Is that safe? Of course. And there are plenty of recipes that require blood, so it's not that strange. It's just kind of... Alex searched for the next words carefully. It can be unpleasant cold, unless it can be stored and kept at a warmer temperature. And how would you accomplish that? Sarah asked, taking the bait. Well, if the kitchen has a sous vide, we could keep it warm. That would stop it from coagulating and make it go down a little easier. I'll see what I can do, Sarah said. She'd already committed to hosting this wedding. She might as well host the best blood cult wedding she could. That's wonderful. Then after that, the last main part of the ceremony is the blood orgy. And what symbolizes the blood orgy? Sarah asked without missing a beat. 
She wasn't going to fall for the same gimmick twice. It's the congregation joining together in a hedonistic mass. We come together as one group, celebrating what Beerus has given us. Then, together in a single, writhing group, we climax en masse, enticing Beerus into the body of the bride through an ultimate action of pleasure. After the wedding, Jacob and I will remain celibate for 30 days, so that we'll know if I became pregnant during the wedding ceremony. The church believes that a child conceived during the wedding can bring about a daughter of Beerus, and by holding the wedding during an eclipse, will further entice her to join us. Alex spoke with a starry-eyed passion and longing that Sarah couldn't quite place. But what's going to symbolize the orgy? Sarah asked again, now afraid of the answer. Symbolize it? Alex asked, confused. That's why you agreed to nudity during the ceremony. Nothing symbolizes it. The blood orgy is when we have an orgy in goat blood. The Wedding It was the afternoon of July 7th, and Sarah felt more like an anthropologist than a maitre d'. Sister Anna and two other members of the congregation had arrived to set up the ceremony room, and Sarah just watched in awe. She was never particularly religious herself, so she took a genuine interest in learning about the Church of the Sacred Blood without feeling too uncomfortable that they worshipped a demon. The worshippers were affixing the draperies and floor coverings while Sister Anna supervised. They were solid, black drapes without writing on them, so Sarah could guess what other supplies they had brought in the boxes. Sister Anna left the worshippers to their work and brought a box filled with mason jars over to Sarah. Alex told us that you could provide a sous vide to keep these warm, Sister Anna asked politely. Sarah brought her to the kitchen where a water bath was held at 100 degrees and tried not to stare when she started loading the jars filled with crimson liquid into the bath. I thought they were just taking a sip out of a goblet, Sarah asked. If you're opposed, just let me know, Sister Anna said. But we figured if there was room, we might as well warm up some extra. A single goat can nicely cover our full congregation, but it's better to have a little extra. Sarah managed a weak smile. And have you ever used room-temperature blood? It's a lovely lubricant when warm, but at room temperature it just gets a bit too sticky. Sarah nodded her assent, as if she'd had her own blood orgy experiences. And what's that one for? Sarah asked, indicating a smaller jar that was being brought back into the ceremony room. This one's for the runes. We don't need too much. Sarah stood and watched the woman as she painted ancient symbols around her ceremony room. Circles of writing that looked to be Hebrew, others with Arabic, and a few Latin phrases that Sarah could make out. She painted shapes along the floor as if she were in Alistair Crowley's kindergarten class, triangles and squares decorating the center of the room. I'm surprised you don't have more pentagrams, Sarah said with a chuckle. Sister Anna stopped working and looked at her. That is a very ignorant stereotype, she said pointedly. Sarah's smile vanished. But I'm sure you meant no offense. The pentagram is a sign of Wiccans, not our hedonistic belief system, she said, returning to her work. The solar eclipse was scheduled for 2.45 p.m., and the ceremony started at 2.15 sharp. 
The Church of the Sacred Blood does not permit non-members to attend their ceremonies, which was why another fifty people would be coming for the reception only. At Alex's request, Sarah was granted special permission. They couldn't have kept her out of the room if she insisted. She was the venue owner, but having an invitation made her feel more comfortable. Sarah had a habit of attending as many of the ceremonies at Loomis Manor as she could, and didn't want to miss this one. The black draperies absorbed much of the light in the room. The congregation all wore black wool robes with hoods over their heads. There were almost two hundred worshippers forming a circle in the center of the room, with Sister Anna, Brother Michael, Jacob, and two other men standing inside the circle with their hoods down. Sarah heard the steady beat of drums as the ceremony began. A rhythmic chanting started in a language that she didn't recognize. The door to the ceremony room opened, and Sarah saw three robe-clad figures. Two women were supporting a third lifting her into the air and carrying her into the ceremony room and into the circle where they placed her on the ground. Then, the two women took off Alex's robe, and two men did the same to Jacob, and joined their fellow congregation members, leaving the couple naked in the center of the circle. We are here to celebrate in the love between two members of our family, Alex and Jacob, Brother Michael said. Sister Anna walked to Alex, withdrawing a gilded knife with a golden handle from her robe. Alex, do you of your own free will profess your love for Jacob and wish to be joined with him in a new life together? Alex smiled, blinking back tears, and looked into Jacob's eyes. I love him. All I want in life is to be with him. Sister Anna took the knife and carved a rune into Alex's chest, making shallow cuts to minimize the pain. Alex kept her eyes on Jacob to remind herself why she was doing this. Sister Anna repeated the question to Jacob, carving a different rune into his chest. She stepped back, and Brother Michael took a wooden bowl and poured salt in an incomplete circle around the two of them, leaving an opening in the direction of the door. Will you love and sacrifice for one another, defending your family, celebrating and suffering together, taking solace in one another's love? Brother Michael asked. We will, Alex and Jacob said together, and they grabbed one another's hands. The door opened, and a man led a black goat into the room by a rope around his neck. The congregation parted, and he brought the goat up to the couple, careful not to step inside the circle of salt himself. Jacob took the rope and brought Philip close to himself. Sister Anna placed the knife and a goblet on the floor near the couple, and Brother Michael sealed the circle of salt. With your friends and family as witnesses, do you vow to respect and trust each other? To live as equals, honoring each other as you do yourselves? Sister Anna asked. We do, they answered. Alex knelt down and picked up the goblet. Fill yourself with the fluid of life as you begin a new life together. May you live this new life more strongly and more brightly than your old, Brother Michael said. Alex drank from the goblet, then passed it to Jacob, who emptied it. And will you embrace the pain of life together, supporting one another, Sister Anna asked. We will, they said. Alex picked up the knife and passed it to Jacob, then spun around. 
Sarah met her eye and only saw bliss. She thought Alex looked like the happiest bride she'd ever seen, and that look of pure joy didn't leave her face when a new rune was etched into her back. If anything, she seemed to enjoy it. Alex turned too quickly and slipped on the blood on the ground. Jacob grabbed her and she giggled. Sister Anna and Brother Michael both smiled and mumbled something about our little klutz. She took the knife from Jacob and drew a complex series of lines and angles on his own back. Sarah wondered how this church dealt with bloodborne diseases. The congregation started chanting and moaning together as 200 people let their robes drop to the ground. Sarah was the only clothed person left in the room, but she couldn't look away. Now we ask, before one another, before our congregation, and before our Lord Beerus herself, will you end your old lives forever and consummate this union together? Brother Michael asked as the chanting grew louder. We will, they said. We invite our Lord into our union, into our marriage, and into our family. We honor and beg of you to bless us and enter into us. Then take each other in your arms and begin your new life as one, Sister Anna said. The couple embraced in a kiss. No matter what they believed or did, those two were in love. Sarah couldn't look away as Alex bent down, petting the goat. Then, with Jacob holding her hand, they quickly severed its throat. The light left its eyes in an instant as the blood sprayed out on the couple. They started to kiss, and Sarah saw the congregation start to split into pairs and trios. Sister Anna and Brother Michael grabbed mason jars and threw the crimson liquid into the air drenching the congregation as the bodies started to writhe. Sarah slipped out the door. How was the secret ceremony? asked Jenny, her assistant. It was, Sarah looked for the words, something truly special. Are you skipping out on the ending? I'm gonna let them finish in private, she said. September Sarah finished up her last venue tour with a few minutes to kill before her final appointment of the day. New weddings had been coming in slowly but steadily, and she had a healthy savings to hold the manor over if they ran into unbooked weekends. She checked her calendar and saw that Alex and Jacob had a brief appointment. She hadn't seen them since the wedding. After the ceremony had ended, she left the doors to the room closed. She didn't want anyone to have to go in there until the end of the night. They weren't exaggerating when they said the church might drink her dry. They emptied the bar and three quarters of the extra stock before the night was over. But nobody got sloppy. Every person she spoke to was respectful, polite, and grateful. After the reception, she let her staff go home early and offered overtime to anyone willing to come in and clean up the next day provided they didn't ask questions about the ceremony. It was common for couples to send thank you notes, Facebook reviews, or phone calls after the ceremony, but rarely would they stop by in person to thank her for the service. She looked up when she heard a knock at her office door and invited the two of them in to take a seat. They both looked tan and relaxed when they walked into the room. We just wanted to thank you, Jacob said. You really went above and beyond. 
everyone in the congregation loved the ceremony, Alex joined in. It's so hard to find a venue that's willing to meet our needs. And I'm honored that Loomis Manor could be a part of your special day, Sarah said. Everything was perfect, Alex said. Then, after a pause, And that's why we're here, to see if we could work with you again. We were wondering if you ever rented out your venue for baptisms? That was Sean W. Foley's Wedding of the Century, as read by Alex Ford. Alex Ford spends most of her time cooped up in a closet reading to herself. Sometimes she edits and narrates books, too. She likes cats, food, wine, and scary stories best. She likes you, too. Feel free to make contact on Instagram at SeriouslyAlex or to be summarily ignored on Facebook though she does occasionally open the messenger. Thank you, Alex. Well, children of the night, the hour is late, and we've run out of tales to tell. For now. Tales to Terrify is made possible by the tremendous generosity of our supporters through Patreon and PayPal. If you're not already a supporter, head over to patreon.com slash tales to terrify for a look at all the awesome perks, from ad-free episodes and bonus content to shout-outs and swag. Every dollar helps, and we appreciate it so much. If you're looking for another way to help, why not drop a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Ratings and reviews are an easy way to show your appreciation and help us spread the darkness. Tales to Terrify is produced by Seth Williams, Pete Morsellino, Meredith Morgenstern, Julia Zellman, and myself, Drew Sebastini, with original theme by Nebulous Entertainment. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no-derivatives license. Join us again next week as we spiral into madness with more Tales to Terrify. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, 
people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.